Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I am Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We are well, a couple weeks into the big league season now. We're going to take a look at some rookies who are off to hot starts. Maybe some that are not off to such hot starts. We'll see. Uh, we also have had quite a bit of turnover on our top 100 prospects list. We've had five new additions over the course of the past week. We'll break down each of those guys. We will give you our weekly draft update, which, yes, will include an update on Rocker and Leiter, Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter of Vanderbilt. And we're also going to take a look at five guys on the rise. And we'll wrap up by answering your questions, as we always do, in the mailbag. Jim, Jonathan, always with the caveat when we uh, when you guys are working on the prospect list, you guys are both buried deep in the top 100, soon to be top 150 draft prospects list. So that is what your focus has been on. But there is baseball underway, and uh, we've had a lot of prospects to watch, a lot of rookies. And um, last week when we talked about these guys, there were several names uh, that we probably, if you had asked us coming into the season, who are we going to be talking about when we talk about rookies who are off to fast starts, probably would not have topped our list with Badu. Mercedes McKinstry. Oh, Jim, you might have you might have had McKinstry in there. <laughs> uh, but those guys continue to hit. Uh, Badu with another big game. Uh, as we're recording this now, he had a big game last night. Um, the Yerminator was the American League Player of the Week. Um, he's he. Well, I think all three of these guys had a little stint of like a couple games where they cooled off. Maybe had a, a couple game hitless spell, but then came back with, with a big game, each of them. Um, so those guys continue to impress. Um, but some other names have, have popped up um, that we should talk about. Um, Emmanuel Classe, for one, I know we want to talk about. Trevor Rogers, another. Um, Jim, when we were talking about who we were going to talk about today, uh, you were you were all in on uh, Classe. Yeah, you know, it, it's he he's fascinated me. I mean, you know, as everybody who listens to the podcast knows, Jonathan and I each do 10 top 30 lists and you get to know those players a little bit better than others and you know, I had class say with the Rangers before he became to, came to the Indians, but like his career arc is is just so crazy. So, you know, he, he's the Padres signed him out of the Dominican Republic in 2015 and it took him 4 years to get to full season ball. And then four years to go from high class A to the big leagues. I mean, I'm sorry, four months uh, to go to go from high class A to the big leagues. You know, the, the Rangers got him in a trade for Brett Nicholas. Um, he was good in the final couple months of the 2019 season. And then he went to the Indians as part of the Corey Kluber trade. Last year, we never saw him because he strained his lat during spring training. He got an 80-game suspension that was later reduced to the entire season uh, after testing positive for performance-enhancing substance. Um, you know, pitched a little bit in structural league Dominican Winter League, but he's come back. He's got two saves already, and he's got the crazy fastball. It might be the craziest fastball in the big leagues. It's he was an upper 80s guy when he signed mid 90s when the Rangers traded for him, and now he's he kind of usually ranges from 97 to 102. But even more so than the velocity, he's just got this natural cut and ride that, the, the, you know, he's throwing 100 miles an hour and the ball's it's like a wiffle ball. 
Um, and I mean, I don't know how anybody ever squares that pitch up. Um, they haven't so far so much this season. He, he's got a power slider to go with it as well. And I mean, I, you know, I, I think this guy is going to succeed as a closer if he throws strikes. Um, you know, th- that's really the biggest question. I mean, he did. I'm not putting him in the Hall of Fame, but it's almost like like Mariano Rivera's cutter, except it's 100 miles an hour. I don't know. You, you could know that pitch is coming, and I still don't know how you hit it. So far, Class A in five games, four and a third innings pitched, two hits, two walks, six strikeouts, a um, couple saves. So he's he's pitching in high leverage situations, and uh, Jim just put him in the Hall of Fame. You, you yeah. did say you put him in the Hall of Fame, right? Yes, Class A is the same as Mariana Rivera. That's what I that's what I heard too. That's the headline for today's podcast. So, someone else with a very interesting career arc and doesn't really fit the uh, strictest definition of prospect. And actually, <laughs> when we were talking prior to the podcast, we questioned whether he was actually still technically a prospect, still technically had rookie eligibility, is Philip Evans, who's getting some playing time because of an injury to uh, one of the elite prospects in the game, and keep Ryan Hayes. Um, I could I could have saved this for a pipeline pop quiz, but um, out, of, out of respect to Danny Gentili, who's uh, not with us as a, a producer, but hated the pipeline pop quizzes, <laughs> uh, we will... We will not do it as a pipeline pop quiz, but Philip Evans, the last time he was on a top prospects list, 2013, he was number 19 on the Mets top. That, that might've even been before we expanded to top 30 list. That might've been the Mets top 20 list. Yeah, I think. Uh, is that right? Yeah, I think that's right. And, and you know, in his... his story is, you know, I mean, and we all love stories like this. Uh, it's not. Uh, anything earth shattering in terms of, you know, but, uh, you know, it was a somewhat later round pick back in 20, uh, 2011, another big leaguer from that 2011 draft, by the way, who's now being productive, jumped uh, onto their, to their top 20 and, you know, kind of like puttered around in the Mets system for a very long time. Didn't make it to double a until 2016. Um, Made it up finally for the first time in 2017. Hit decently briefly in 2018. Kind of looked like a quadruple A super utility type of guy, maybe. Um, and has been, you know, a minor league free agent a few times over. Uh, you know, kind of just trying to hang on. Really went after the 2018 season, signed with the Cubs. After 2019, was free agent again, signed with the Pirates, and then you know last year he came up again, out of need, and was hitting well and then got hurt. You know, lost the opportunity to, to play. And then, you know, the same thing happened this year where there's just an opportunity to play. And again, he's hitting. And, you know, it's been not a ton of opportunities overall. I mean, he's only got 125 career at-bats, but he's hit 320. You know, I'm beginning to think that maybe Philip Evans is actually not bad. Uh, and he can hit a little bit. He can play a bunch of different positions. They've been, you know, they he hasn't been filling in for Brian Hayes at third base every day um, as they've moved guys around. But he's been able to to play here and there. I think he played center field the other day. Um, you know, I, I don't know that he's an everyday player, but he he's contributing. And this is a team that, you know, needs guys who can – 
do something productive offensively, uh, I think they're going to keep giving them opportunities and, until, you know, right out this hot streak for as long as it lasts. And so far, he's shown the ability to hit. And speaking of getting opportunities, it's not like he was a, you know, a big bonus guy or first rounder. Well, well he was, he was Jason. He actually got sandwich round money in the 15th round. Oh, he did? Round. Okay. So he, he signed was a- for 650. Yeah. He, he was, anyway, I didn't mean to. No. Well, yeah, I, mean, there, but he, I mean, he got the equivalent of say, supplemental first round money at the time when they when they signed him. Is that six six fifty in uh, back in twenty eleven? Yeah, would be sandwich round money. Yeah, and that but was he, that, that was the year before. And you know, we've talked about this before, I think, but that was the last year before changes to the to the draft system and the bonus pools and and you know that was the last year that teams could you know do that with impunity. I was going to say, you know, I, I think the point probably still stands that he's not a guy who got so much money that the team had so much invested in him that he got, you know, chance after chance after chance. This is a guy who spent eight years uh, kind of toiling in the minor leagues and then, you know, remaining ready for that opportunity. Um, and, and Jonathan, you said, got has been up a few times and is, is by and large hit when he's been up. Um, but always ready for that opportunity. A um, couple other guys that have, I was looking at their numbers and uh, was struck by how similar they were between last year and this year. A uh, couple of pitchers, Trevor Rogers and Casey Mize, uh, both, I believe, had seven starts last year. Uh, looking at Rogers here, uh, seven games, seven starts, 6.11 ERA. Uh, 28 innings allowed, 32 hits, uh, 13 walks, at a 1.61 ERA. Uh, hitters hit him at a clip of 283. And Casey Mize last year also seven games, seven starts, ERA above six, nearly seven, 6.99. Um, and now this year, uh, Mize in his first two outings has allowed – one earned run, one earned run on nine hits, uh, four walks, nine strikeouts over 11 innings. And Trevor Rogers, uh, perhaps even more gaudy numbers, at least on the strikeout side, 10 innings pitched, has allowed five hits, six walks, 16 strikeouts in 10 innings, three runs, two of them earned. So a couple of guys, uh, especially with Mize, who expected big things, in a small sample size and the first time up didn't fare well, but so far in the early going have, have looked good this year. Yeah, you know, and with Mize, you know, it, 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 even last night he struck, he, he has struggled with his command and control, which were strong suits more than I would have expected in the big leagues. I mean, sometimes guys struggle when they first get there. Um, but he, he has more so than I thought just because it was so good in, in college at Auburn. And even this year, he struggled with his command in his first start. And last night he really battled it for the first two innings and then he got locked in. Um, you know, he's, I, I still don't quite know what to make of him because he's not missing quite as many bats as I would have thought. You know, again, it, it's still very early in his career. He just graduated from the top 100. But last night I, I think it was a very positive step, you know, especially from the standpoint of getting off to a slow start with his command and control in the first two innings and then writing the ship. So maybe he'll start to become 
you know, more the guy who was the number one pick of the draft in 2018. Um, you know, whereas, you know, Trevor Rogers, I've, I've never been the biggest fan of his just because he, he never has, you know, he's been one of those guys who, you know, never had a great breaking ball. I mean, even going back to high school. And so that always concerned me a little bit, although he, he's to come up with the cutter that kind of serves as his third pitch and is an effective option. And, you know, he's throwing harder. It's 92, 94 to 97. Um, and, and he's got a good change up and, and he uses his size. Well, um, were you, I mean, Jonathan, I think he was in your half of the draft when we were doing the draft, you know, cause he's from New Mexico. Were you a big Trevor Rogers proponent? I mean, he was also super old for a high school kid, which which bothered some teams. Yeah, I mean, I liked him because of his size and his left handedness. Um, you know, and uh, he kind of want to say you know, sort of a pop up guy, although not not really. I mean, over the summer prior, he had he had that's kind of I guess where he jumped on the scene, if my memory is correct. Um, you know, as a as a as a high school guy from New Mexico, you don't you don't see too many first round guys come from from those ranks. Um, but you know the the fastball played. Um, you know, I I thought it was you know it was a little bit of a reach when he went thirteenth overall. Uh, but that's about where most people had him. Uh, you know, I, I think he would have gone, you know, not that long after. Again, when you have a six-five lefty who seemed to be able to throw strikes and had a plus fastball. Um, and, and, you know, I, I remember what you're saying, Jim, about the, the break ball not being great, but there was some feel there. I, I think there was hope that it would get better. Um, I, I think kind of what's you know, interesting with him is just that he kind of – like it took him forever to pitch. You know, it, you know he, he didn't pitch that summer. Um, you know, he made what 17 starts the next year, uh, you know, 2019, he pitched a a lot. Uh, and that was kind of when he really put himself on the map and, you know, pitched his way to, to double a, but I remember, you know, waiting for him to, to, to make his debut. And I was like, what is going on? He had some minor injuries. Um, and you know, anytime a young pitcher gets hurt early on and you start, and, and you don't know what's going on. You're worried like, well, is, is he going to end up needing Tommy John surgery or something else, you know, shoulder surgery. And he finally, you know, finally made 17 starts in that first full year, you know, but, and then we didn't hear from him uh, a whole lot. And obviously the shutdown, and then, you know, last year he made it to the big leagues. It almost, I mean, that took me by surprise because his name had not really come up a whole heck of a lot. Uh, and then all of a sudden there he was in the big leagues and granted he's, you know, he struggled last year, but, uh, for all the talk about him being old as a high schooler, here he is, you know, in the big leagues now pitching very, very well. And he's only 23. Uh, so it, it's been kind of an interesting developmental path for him uh, as much as it was, uh, you know, him popping up on the scene from a, from a part of the country that you don't, you don't see a lot of high school guys, uh, going in the first round. Yeah. We just hadn't seen much of him in the minor leagues. Right. Jonathan, you mentioned 17 starts in his pro debut in 2018, but even at that, he only threw 72 innings across those 17 starts. For, so just just over four innings per start there, and, and only a total of 209 innings pitched in the minors before making his big league debut last year. Um, yeah, and he was old. To, I mean, for a high school kid, he was 20 and a half when he made his pro debut, like which is, I mean, really unusual. 
Um, yeah, that always stuck with me too. But you know, I think the things that's helped him is even though he's never come up with a you know, you know, a, you know, really, you know, solid third pitch, you know, breaking ball type of thing. He does throw harder and, he, and his fastball, his four seamer plays well off his changeup. So that's been effective for him. I mean, he's got 55 strikeouts and 38 big league innings right now. You know, I, I think the, the key for him is he's got to cut the walks. He's been walking the guy every two innings and to have success as a starter, he's going to have to control command his stuff better because he does get hit when his location's off. All right. You're listening to the MLB pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Uh, another group of guys we wanted to talk about um, that you can all kind of, you can lump them all into sort of the same category, guys who are or were projected to be starters but are currently pitching in a relief role or uh, at least thus far have been relieving for the most part. But uh, Honeywell, Kopech, Crochet, Puck, Weathers, Rodriguez, uh bunch of guys here and several of them are guys who are have been held back by injuries and are kind of being eased back in um but guys a, a, an interesting group here and all these guys have been uh, very good so far this year yeah i think it's uh, it's it's really an interesting way to go and and for each of them there's their stories of why they're where they are uh you know are, are different um you know i think we should start with brent honeywell just because it has been uh, just an unbelievable journey uh, for him going from sort of, you know, a guy who, you know, he felt that he was overlooked, you know, in the draft, the Rays, you know, took him in the second round back in 2014, jumped on the scene and seemed like one of the better right-handed pitching prospects in all of baseball. And then the injuries uh, really hit and he didn't, he didn't throw competitively after the 2017 season until right now. Um, to the point where when I heard that he was getting called up, I, I did a double take um, because he didn't even, you know, he didn't pitch a ton in spring training. Um, you know, I think that, uh, in fact, he only pitched in, in one game in spring training. So, I, I, you know, it was great to see him on the mound. And I said, all right, well, now he can get ready for the minor league season. Here he is in the big leagues. And he was absolutely nasty. Two perfect innings, struck out two, um, you know, the Rays like to use that opener. Uh, I, I think he can make a, a huge impact while they really monitor his his workload. And I think he's one of those guys. You know, I think these guys are, are in different boats. You know, some of them are, are going to be starters eventually. Um, you know, I think he and and Kopech or Michael Kopech are probably the better bets to be relievers long term. Um, you know, and but I, I, you know, and AJ AJ Puck also, I think, probably stays in the bullpen just because of all the injuries. Uh, but I think Garrett Crochet and uh, Ryan Weathers, and then Chris Rodriguez, who's the sort of you know not as big a name, uh, but the Angels have long loved this stuff, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy. I think we'll have to wait and see. He's still young enough; he hasn't pitched above a ball before now. But uh, the Honeywell one is the one that really, really sticks out, just because of how much time he, he missed. And, you know, I, I think there are a lot of us who are wondering whether or not, you know, he was ever going to get there. So I tip my cap to him for, for putting in the work to, to getting to the big leagues. And now I think will serve a, a, an important role on that pitching staff going forward. It's kind of crazy. I mean, it, how much they've gone through, but this is the fact that, you know, Honeywell and Kopech are still rookies and we're still talking about them like that in 2021 because 
I can't remember if we were both at the Fall Stars game in 2016, Jonathan, but you know they, they were the two best players in the 2016 Fall Stars game, the Arizona Fall League. Brett Honeywell struck out, I think, five top 100 prospects in two innings. Kopech was repeatedly hitting 100, made Glaber Torres look really bad with his fastball. And then you fast forward to next year, 2017, they were probably the two best players at the Futures game that year. Um and dominated there. And here we are four years later, still talking about him. I, I'm going to be really curious to see what the White Sox do with both Kopech and Crochet. I mean, I think those guys are kind of in the same situation that Ryan Weathers is in, in that they're on teams that are, you know, all in to get to the World Series this year, one out, added starting pitching in the offseason. So they had fewer rotation openings. But I, I think both those White Sox guys, and Ryan Weathers, I, I think, are still viewed as long-term starters. You know, like you said, you know, Honeywell, can you really count on him? You know, that open role might be perfect for him. I, I really respect AJ Puck as a prospect, but I mean, at some point, I think you got to say he hasn't thrown consistent strikes and he hasn't stayed consistently healthy. Let's just put him in the pen. You know, Chris Rodriguez is younger, so may, maybe he could move. But I'll, I'll be curious to see because while I think that is in the plans for 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 the two White Sox guys and Weathers. It's also not something you can really do in the middle of the season. You know, you can't just say, hey, flip a switch. Now you're a starter because you got to build the guy's arm back up. I mean, that's more, you know, off-season work and spring training. Um, but I'll, I'll be very curious to see, you know, with all three of those guys, are they starters next year? You know, do the White Sox do that with with two guys? You know, what if these guys are, are all spectacular in the bullpen? Do you, do you mess with a good thing? I'll be really curious to see how that goes forward. But I, I do think – those three guys, especially in the playoffs, could be great weapons because they could give you two or three innings, you know, if you need them. And they all are, are terrific, terrific pitching prospects. Jim, you were talking about how good these guys were in the Fall Stars game in 2016, Futures game 2017. And we were recently looking back at, uh, I sent you guys this, our list of the top 10 right-handed pitching prospects from 2017. This is quite a list. Uh, Alex Reyes was at the top of it. Tyler Glasnow, Lucas Giolito, Kopech, Francis Martes, uh, Anderson Espinoza, Honeywell, Jose De Leon, Jeff Hoffman, and Ronaldo Lopez. So some serious time missed. Uh, I mean, I, I think if you just take a glance at that list, probably the first thing that jumps out at you is just how much time bulk of those guys missed. Yeah, I mean, that's just the nature. Of, I mean, that's what always makes it tough when we're doing these, these lists is you can't ignore pitchers, but they get hurt and uh, you know, baseball, you know, and teams have spent hours and hours and hours to try to keep pitchers healthy. And when I started in this business, it wasn't uncommon to see minor league pitchers pitch, you know, like real prospects pitch 180 plus innings a season. And now we've gone in the other direction where, you know, workloads and and pitch counts are, are carefully, carefully managed and, and guys don't stay healthy. I mean, personally, I feel, you know, guys are throwing harder and that leads to more injuries too. But I mean, it's, it just feels like it's kind of random almost. I mean, I'm sure Jonathan can say the same thing, but I mean, over the years, I've seen guys with great deliveries not stay healthy. And I've seen guys with terrible deliveries, you know, like Max Scherzer always jumps to mind. Like he had this tremendous head whack when I first saw him in the fall league right after he signed. And, and he's, you know, I don't think he's ever really had an arm injury. He had, he had a finger injury, but he's, he's stayed healthy. So it's, it's just the nature of pitching. I mean, we, we talk about Hunter Green, Jonathan. I mean, that guy generates probably the most effortless 100-mile-an-hour fastballs, and he's super athletic. And he blew out, you know, pretty quick into his pro career. It's, it, it's, pitching's tough. 
All right, before we go to a break, one thing I wanted you guys to do quickly, and Jonathan, you kind of started to group these guys before, but I wanted you to rank this group of six pitchers that we're talking about, Honeywell, Kopech, Crochet, Puck, Weathers, Rodriguez, from most likely to start long-term to least likely. All right, I'll say Weathers is most likely to start, followed by Crochet, then Rodriguez, then Kopech, then Puck, then Honeywell. I would be very similar to that. I would go Weathers, Crochet. I would go Kopech third. Rodriguez and Honeywell would be four, five. And, and Puck would be the clear six. I mean, yeah. he's, he, he, but I mean, I mean, we're, we're nitpicking there at the end. I mean, I think we, right. we have them in roughly the same orders there. And, and I agree, Weathers and Crochet would be the top two easily. All right. When we come back, we're going to look at the newest additions to our top 100 prospects list. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Uh, last week... On the show, we talked about the new additions to the top 100 prospects. There were several of them, and there were several more this week. In, in just the week uh, that's transpired since our last podcast episode, we've had five players graduate from the top 100 prospects list. That was Dylan Carlson of the Cardinals, Nick Madrigal of the White Sox, Arandia Rosarina of the Rays, Tristan McKenzie of the Indians, and Ian Anderson of the Braves. Those five players were replaced in this order by Ivan Herrera of the Cardinals, Michael Bush of the Dodgers, Tyler Soderstrom of the A's, Noel Marte of the Mariners, and Jonathan India of the Reds. Um, Jim, we're going to give you the first two players on this list. Ivan Herrera, uh, Cardinals catcher, who I know when we, uh, when we tweeted out news of him entering the top 100 prospects list, we saw some baby Yachty replies, a not unfamiliar refrain. Uh, tell us a little bit about Herrera. Yeah, and, and I'm wondering if, uh, real quick, Jonathan, did you get any emails from Canada or tweets from Canada 
angry that we did not add Alejandro Kirk. Yeah, stop baiting me like that. No, actually, I did not. Okay, well, that's good. I'm glad the Canada is leaving you alone. It, you know, Herrera's interesting, although, I mean, he's the latest catching prospect who's got to wonder if Yadier Molina is ever going to stop playing for the Cardinals. The good news for Herrera, he's only 20, so I think he can kind of wait Yadier out. He might, he might actually be the, the Cardinals catching prospect who actually takes over for Yachty, like, you know, probably 2030 at this point. But, uh, no, I mean, he, he's super interesting. He's one of a number of guys I think would have had a lot higher profile had we had a 2020 season because he was very good as an 18-year-old in the Midwest League in 2019, low class A, that's one of the hardest places to hit. And what I like about Herrera is – that, you know, like a lot of times with the catching prospects, you have an offensive guy and you wonder if he's going to stay behind the plate or you have a defensive guy and, and you wonder if he's going to hit. I mean, the extreme, I don't know why these guys popped in my head, you know, like a, a Jake Rogers with the Tigers, who's a defensive minded guy or Zach Collins with the White Sox, who has power, but was shaky behind the plate. But, you know, Herrera is a legit all around guy. You know, he's you know, he's a, a hit over power guy, but there's power there. Um, there could be more power to come. You know, he doesn't try to do too much at the plate. He, he's got control of the strike zone, uses the whole field. Um, you know, just good approach for a young guy, you know, that hasn't had any problems with breaking balls. So you feel real good about the bat. And, you know, he's going to stay behind the plate. You know, he's got, you know, he's a good receiver. His blocking improved. He actually worked with Molina to help him, you know, I mean, why wouldn't you learn from Molina if you had that chance? Um, you know, he's got solid arm strength, you know, that's improved, you know, in pro ball. He's, you know, worked hard on learning English early in his career. So he's bilingual, um, you know, which helps communicate with, with pitchers who obviously speak different languages. Um, just really impressive guy. And, and even though he's been in pro ball, he signed in 2016, he's still only 20. Um, so I, I just think there's a, there's a ton of upside with this guy. And then, you know, number two, the, the second replacement, Michael Bush with the Dodgers, you know, we, we've talked about him some on the podcast last fall, you know, he might have, if you surveyed all the scouts who, who attended instructional league, Bush would be up there with the most impressive hitters that, that, that scouts saw on other teams. And, you know, this is a guy who was a first round pick in 2019. Um, you know, I think at that time, if you were listing his, his strong suits, he, he was one of the more complete offensive players in that draft. You know, he, he has a very polished approach. He draws walks. He uses the whole field. He controls the strike zone. There's power too. you know, there's hit, there's power, there's on base. I mean, this guy's going to be a really good offensive player. And the question when the Dodgers drafted him in 19 was, where are you going to play this guy? He played a lot of first base at North Carolina, played some left field. In the Cape, he got some time at second. I think he's taking ground balls at third. And the Dodgers actually announced him at the most difficult of those positions, second base. And, you know, he's, you know, probably a slightly below average runner. You know, he, he was a three-sport athlete as a Minnesota high schooler. So he's, you know, 6'1", 210, but he's a little bit more athletic than that build might indicate. But, but people who saw him last fall in Instructional League, we're just amazed at, at how much improvement he'd made with his athleticism and quickness and even his arm strength a little bit. Um, and, and went from, I think the best word to describe how other teams thought of him as a second baseman would have been skeptical. And, and now I think, you know, teams are saying, look, he's got a shot. You know, he could be that Max Muncy type of second baseman where positioning plays in. Um, and, and he's a better all around hitter, you know, than, than Max Muncy. So, you know, I, this is yet another example of the Dodgers 
taking a guy and helping him get better. And, and we, we really haven't seen a whole lot of him. Uh, he had 24 at-bats in his debut before he had a, a minor injury, and we got to see him a little bit in the Arizona Fall League. But, I mean, he's a guy who played in 2019, and he, he's got 24 official minor league at-bats to his credit at this point. So I, I, I think he's a guy who could shoot up this list um, as he gets going this year. Jim, uh, circling back quickly to Herrera, you were mentioning might be the Cardinals catching prospect to finally take over from Yachty. And I think you were probably largely referring to Carson Kelly, who was on the Cardinals top 30 prospects list for one, two, three, four, five, six straight years. He was ranked among their uh, top 10 prospects for the most part. He, he ended up rising to being their number two prospect behind Alex Reyes in 2017, number three in 2018 behind Reyes and Flaherty, uh, was finally dealt uh, when it was apparent that Yachty was never going to retire. And then, you know, even after that, I, you know, I don't think there was that heir apparent uh, sort of uh, component to this, but then uh, Kisner kind of came out of nowhere and was the Cardinals number three prospect in 2019 and number six in 2020. And now the torch has been handed to Herrera as that, that catcher in waiting in perpetuity. Um, so Jonathan, next up on the top 100 prospects list, uh, you're going to tell us about Tyler Soderstrom, Noelvi Marte, and Jonathan Indian. Kind of an interesting dichotomy here. We got a couple of 19-year-olds, and then a 24-year-old who is already in the big leagues, and uh, I think it's fair to say off to a surprisingly good start. Yeah, a healthy start. But I'll start with Soderstrom, who, uh, unlike Herrera, the the jury is out. Uh, you know about whether he sticks behind the plate. It's interesting with Soderstrom and Marte. You know, Soderstrom's yet to play a professional game because twenty twenty. Um. And Marte's yet to play a game in the United States. Um, you know, uh, under normal circumstances, they, they may have both played their way on. And Soderstrom was a guy who was one of the best pure hitters among the high school set in in the 2020 draft uh, and could have gone somewhere in the middle of the first round, ended up going number 26 uh, overall. But the A's went uh, well over slot to, to sign him for $3.3 million. Um, uh, and then he went to the alternate site as a high schooler. His dad, Steve Soderstrom, you know, pitched in the big leagues for for quite some time. And so he, he's got that sort of feel for the game uh, that you we often come to expect uh, from sons of, of big leaguers. He can really, really hit. I mean, the, 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 the strike zone uh, knowledge is unbelievable. Uh, he, he can drive the ball to all fields. Um, you know, he can, there's no question he's going to hit. I think whether he sticks behind the plate remains to be seen. The A's like the strides he made. He's very athletic. You know, so this is not a guy where if he moves out from behind the plate, you're like, oh, where, where can we hide him? Uh, you know, he could, he could probably play third. He could play an outfield corner and, and would be fine there. He, he did both of those things on the showcase circuit, the, the summer before, and you know he, he'd be perfectly fine. The bat's going to play. So I think the question will be: Is will the catching development 
hold back his, his back getting him to the big leagues because I think he's going to hit his way quickly uh, up their system. Uh, it's going to be fun to see how he he hits uh, this year. Marte is a guy, again, had there been a regular 2020, probably would have played full season ball last year. I think he was the kind of guy that could have jumped from the DSL to full season ball, even if he went there a little bit late, and he probably would have hit his way on already. Again, another guy, a guy with uh, a tremendous offensive upside. Uh, he has a chance to hit for average and power uh, when all is said and done. As you pointed out, Jason, he's still you know, only 19, and he's going to be 19 for for the entirety of, of this season. You know, he was he was at alter, at the alternate site last year and and held his own. Uh, question with him about whether or not he plays shortstop. I think he probably slows down. The good news is I think he's going to have the profile for third. Uh, you know, if that's where they decide to to move him over, um, you know, I think they'll let him play his way off of short for for now. He, he's committed to his throwing. We'll see how that goes. But uh, the offense, there's a lot to like, and then. Jonathan India, the last guy, and, and you mentioned that he's in the big leagues already, and this is sort of a nod to him performing kind of like the everyone thought or hoped he would as the number five pick in the 2018 draft. Uh, this, you know, kind of an interesting guy because prior to that, I mean, he was a known quantity in high school. He went to Florida, uh, was okay, but didn't do anything much. And then his his draft year just completely went off, especially in terms of power, and that jumped him up to number five overall. And that wasn't like that was a reach. That was about where he was going to go. And then he got he spent most of his first full season hurt um, with a like a nagging wrist injury. To his credit, he tried to play through it, made it to Double A. We saw him in the fall. He did not perform well there, uh, and all along. You know, the Reds kind of said, well, you know, he was playing with this nagging wrist injury. And you're like, well, how much of that's true? Uh, all reports were that he performed well at the alternate site last year, but none of us saw that. Uh, so we didn't know exactly what to uh, what to expect, you know, coming into this year. And then he went out and was absolutely ridiculous in the Arizona Fall League. I'm sorry, in, in, in uh, spring training this year. And, uh, and then... Won the job. He's their second baseman this year. Is off to a really good start. Eleven runs batted in in nine games, hitting three fifty five. He hasn't hit a homer yet, but that's going to come. He's got a couple of extra base hits, but I think he's settling in and looking much like the guy everyone thought he might be when he was a top ten pick three years ago. So the the addition of Noel V. Marte to the top one hundred prospects list gives the Mariners seven top one hundred prospects, and I, I can tell you uh, that. Mariners fans are in love with this kid. We got a lot of, uh, it's about time, and he should have been on there already when uh, Marte entered the top 100 prospects list. Because they went to the Dominican and watched him play. Well, we got we got a lot of tweets. I mean, at some point, Jonathan, for the inbox and even non-inbox questions, I, we get the, we got that question a lot. You know, how far is Noel V. Marte away from the top 100? When is Noel V. Marte going to be on the top 100? So um, I, I'm not surprised that the Mariners do love their Noel V. Marte. And then on India, uh, he and Tyler Stevenson both off to good starts this year. I was looking at the uh, overall statistics for top 100 prospects who are currently in the big leagues. And uh, overall, top 100 hitters have struggled so far, have a slash line of 200, 314, 342, a 656 OPS. 
69 strikeouts and 190 at bats. Um, but India and Stevenson combined 372, 408, 512 with a 920 OPS. You take those guys out of the equation and the top 100 hitters, uh, the other eight current top 100 prospects who are in the big leagues have a slash line of 150, 288, 293. Um, and that's kind of a stark contrast from the top 100 pitchers. Those guys have been very good. Um, combined, they've thrown 13 games, 3-1 and one with a save, 36 innings pitched, only 18 hits allowed, and 11 walks, and a whip of 0.81 and a combined ERA of 1.75 and 12 strikeouts per nine innings uh, for those top 100 pitchers, which includes Kopech, Crochet, Ryan Weathers, uh, three guys we've talked about at length already today. Also Dane Dunning, who's been very good, and Tristan McKenzie. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk draft. That's coming up next here on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and Jason Ratliff here. And it's time to talk a little bit about the 2021 draft. And as we always do, we have to give you an update on the Vanderbilt duo of Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter, who, since we last spoke, faced the Georgia Bulldogs and uh, did not fare quite as well as they have. I mean, I guess Leiter was very, very good again. Uh, Rocker ran into trouble for the first time this year. He got uh, hit to the tune of five innings pitched, seven hits, six runs, six earned, two walks, 12 strikeouts, and was dinged up for three home runs. Um, You know, this is a, a guy who, to that point, had only allowed four earned runs uh, over the course of 43 innings. So his ERA ballooned to 1.88. It's over. Let's, let's, uh, and lighter came, came back the next night. And it's, it's kind of funny because we were like, are we going to talk about these guys again? They weren't that good. Well, Jack was pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. Lighter seven innings, one run, three hits, three walks, 13 strikeouts, but rocker, um, you know, I, I thought it was pretty interesting. It, you know, first inning, single walk, home run, double, first four hitters, and then proceeded to strike out the next three batters. And then over the course of the next four innings was kind of the rocker of old, four innings pitched, one hit, one walk, 
no runs and nine strikeouts struck outside. Um, I believe in the fifth and then in the sixth inning home run single home run and got yanked. Um, and Jim, I know you said you were, uh, on the phone with a scout at the time and not paying particularly close attention to this game. But is this, is this cause for concern with rocker? I mean, I wouldn't say cause for concern. I mean, it, it's, crazy. This is the first time all year that neither of those guys earned a win in a start. They'd, they'd won their first seven starts. I mean, Rocker's velocity was down like 90, 92, the previous two starts, and he still managed to, to pitch well. I don't know what the velocity was in this game. He did have the 12 strikeouts in five innings, gets a lot of strikeouts on sliders. I, I didn't, I didn't get to see the breakdown of what happened. I mean, I, I, you know, I think this game, the, the issue was command. I mean, even Tim Corbin, I, I read a game story where he alluded to that, you know, I think Rocker threw 24 pitches before he got out. Um, he threw 100 pitches in five plus innings. Um, even though he struck out 12, Georgia hit 700 off him when they put the ball in play, including three home runs. Um, you know, I, I mean, he's good. Um, I mean, we, we've said this, you know, like like he's both very good and very hyped. He's not a guy who I, I think fans think he's this, you know, fire-breathing monster who throws 93, 96 and hits 99 every time out. And that has not been him. That's not been what he's done recently. And and then I think this game showed, even though he he had bat missing stuff, if he doesn't command it, he gets hit. So I wouldn't say cause for concern. Um, you know, I, I do think, you know, we have our our draft top 150 will will be coming out next week, and we haven't you know finalized you know where guys are going to rank. I think it's safe to say Kumar won't be number one. Um, which is where he came into the season, but he still would go in, in the top five or 10 picks. He's still going to go good. But, you know, like with any of these guys, they're going to be under the microscope for the next, we've got three months until the draft. And, you know, if you're going to take a guy in the top five picks, you're going to scrutinize him very carefully. And and there have been some questions that have arisen with the, the velocity being down for a couple starts and, and then the command in this one. Uh, you know, th- teams are looking at that stuff pretty carefully. And Leiter, as mentioned, seven innings, one earned run, 13 strikeouts. He is now 7-0 on the season, 0.55 ERA, uh, 0.082 average against 84 strikeouts against 19 walks in 49 innings. And uh, if, if Rocker is vacating that number one spot on the top 150 list, I think uh, we have a, a pretty good candidate to fill that Vanderbilt spot. might hold on to that number one spot. Um uh, it just even it's not cool. No, I mean, you know, lighter. <laughs> it's funny, you know, as a you know Georgia grad, I felt like the the Bulldogs were playing with house money after they won fourteen to two, which has to be Vanderbilt's worst home loss in forever. And they actually battled Jack Lighter. You know, <laughs> pretty. I feel like one run's kind of the over. You know, like you know, and, and they were in it. Ryan Webb, who who's probably going to be about a third round pick, actually matched him strikeout for strikeout, thirteen and in six innings before Vanderbilt got to Georgia's bullpen, but. I, you know, I, I did watch more of that game, and and it was, you know, vintage Jack Leiter. You just cannot hit his fastball when he can throw the fastball by you in the zone whenever he wants. Um, and he did that. And you know, he walked three guys. I mean, if you want to nitpick, you know, the control is probably the thing he needs to shore up the most. But you know, he looked really, really good. You know, Georgia, you know, scored a run off of him, and Georgia had an opportunity was second and third, uh, one inning to maybe do something. And, 
and didn't. And, and that was kind of it. Um, you know, they, they looked, I mean, Jack Leiter, uh, you know, has looked good every time out. So, uh, you know, kind of more of the same for him, really. All right. And now we move on to our segment on guys not named Rocker and Leiter. Um, this week, we're going to talk about five guys on the rise. And uh, Jonathan, you've got three of them in your half of the country. Jim with a couple in his half of the com- country. Um, Jonathan, Sal Fralick, Boston College outfielder, Matt Mikulski, Fordham lefty, and Michael McGreevy, San, Santa Barbara right-hander, and Jim Bubba Chandler, a Georgia high school right-hander slash shortstop, and Peyton Stovall, Louisiana high school shortstop. Jonathan, let's start with Sal Fralick. Yeah, and we've talked a little bit about Freilich, uh, you know, and it's kind of an interesting combination of why he's made a jump. Uh, a lot of it has been his performance, uh, and some of it has been the lack of performance of other college players. Um, but, you know, let's focus mostly on what he's been able to do. Boston College, we kind of entered the year as an interesting guy, maybe back into the first round. Maybe he's a comp guy. You know, he's not the biggest guy in the world. Uh, but he can really hit. Uh, you know, as a freshman, he hit 367, stole a bunch of bases. Last year, short year, didn't really hit that well, um, but looked good uh, over the summer and, you know, the kind of local college league and, and in the fall and has come out and really performed. He's at 360. He slugged 576. Even though he's not the biggest guy in the world, uh, there is uh, a, a little bit of uh, extra base pop uh, in his bat. Uh, you know, I think uh, he's going to steal some bases, uh, you know, so I think there's, you know, a lot to like with him. Uh, and the biggest thing they've shown this year is he's playing center field every day, which he hadn't done before. He had played a corner the first two years, uh, just mostly because of personnel. And he's been really good. Uh, you know, in the fall, he showed that he had work to do in terms of going back on balls that not having played a lot in center. And, you know, but Scouts also mentioned the fact that he's got plus makeup and that he would work hard enough to get there. And sure enough, he has, you know, and and now he's kind of moved his way up into top 10 pick or at least top half of the first round conversations uh, early yet. I know, but uh, anyone who's going to take him that high believes he can play center field, Uh, you know, and I think that he has a chance to be, you know, top of the order catalyst, uh, a guy who hits for a lot of average, uh, runs into more than enough balls with that, you know, extra base authority and plays center. He's, you know, he's fiddled around with playing uh, on the dirt, uh, but I don't think a team taking him is going to experiment with him playing shortstop or second base. I think they run him out in center field, uh, you know, and the combination of how well he's hit and the fact that there are a lot of other college bats who really just haven't produced uh, you know, a big reason why his name has jumped from that sort of back end of the first round to the front end. Jonathan, if the draft were today, would you take any college hitter over Sal Frelick? Probably not with maybe the exception of Adrian Del Castillo uh, at Miami. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm with you on that. That would probably be, uh, especially if you think Del Castillo can catch. Well, you know, with Bubba Chandler, I, I think, you know, obviously there's a fascination with two-way players these days. You know, I think, I think Shohei Otani sparked a lot of that. You know, we had Brandon McKay in the draft a few years ago. There have been other guys. 
uh, you know, I, I think Bubba Chandler has established himself as the top two-way player in the draft. Now, I, I think he's going to get drafted and potentially even in the first round as a pitcher. I mean, he was a super athletic, projectable pitcher, was on our top 100 coming into the year. He was at number 69. You know, he was, you know, I, I think coming into the year, you looked at him as an 88 to 93 mile an hour fastball, mid 70s curveball, had good depth, but not a lot of power to it. You know, the, the best was yet to come for this guy. Well, <laughs> it's come this spring because now he's 92, 97. He, he still has that really good feel to spin the curveball, but now it's 77, 80. You know, he can even show you a slider that's like 82, 85. Um, he's even using, you know, with that stuff, you don't really need a change up, but he's showing that he has a change up. He'll use it against lefties and righties. And oh, by the way, he's also a shortstop switch, you know, we'll make him a switch hitter, you know, cause you can't have him just bat one way. So he's a switch hitter. It's power from both sides, but he, but the power comes naturally. He doesn't try to do too much at the plate. Um, he's got good actions. at short. He could stay there. He's a 55 runner. You know, it's obviously a strong arm. Um, you know, you could take this guy in the, in the top two or three rounds as a shortstop too. So he's, he just fascinates me. Um, I don't think anybody's going to send him out as a two-way guy because, because the stuff is so good coming out of his hand this spring on the mound. Um, but he, but he makes you think about it a little bit. He, he's really, really interesting. I'm going to stick to college ranks. My next two guys are, are pitchers and, uh, Matt Mikulski is uh, is a really fascinating guy. He actually was draft eligible last year. He snuck in the back end of our top our draft top two hundred. He was one ninety nine overall as a kind of big strong lefty with some power stuff. Who almost definitely looked like a, a reliever, even though you know he had uh, been a starter for uh, Fordham last year. Um, and in, you know, and in 2019, he'd been a reliever back in 2018, uh, you know, guy who could throw hard, could miss bats, but there was, you know, a ton of effort, uh, with his delivery. He's cleaned, uh, some of that up. I think the, the, you know, the big question mark is still whether or not he's going to start, but it's hard to argue with uh, with what he's done, especially lately, he's double digit strikeouts in his last five starts. His last two starts, um, sixteen innings, twenty eight strikeouts, three hits, two walks. Uh, you know, may talk a little bit about the level of competition he's facing. He's not pitching in the SEC, but he's kind of doing what you know what you would want to see now. I don't know how high he goes. It's, he may still top out as a maybe a second rounder, um, but they're not a ton of college lefties in this class, and he's kind of moved up to the close to the front of that list. You know, I think whoever takes him probably sends him out as a starter. See if you can continue to to iron out his, um, you know, iron out his uh, his delivery and see if there's enough to, uh, you know, to to get him into a place where he can do it regularly. But this is a guy who's, you know, up to 98 regularly and holding the delivery uh, holding the velocity rather. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, you give him a chance to uh, give him a chance to start just because he's still throwing that hard late in his starts. And that's, what's been the most encouraging thing for him. A guy who, who it, it, it you know, Jonathan can attest to this. So when we did the the top 100 back in 
in November, December, and we're setting that up. I, I like I like middle infielders who can hit. And so we jammed a bunch of those guys on the end of the list. I think you had a couple too, Jonathan. And I think literally number 101 on our list, which means he didn't make the list, was Peyton Stovall, who's a shortstop from Houghton High School in uh, in Louisiana. And he has just gone off this spring. He's, he's got 12 homers. I mean, I know high school stats don't mean a lot. But, you know, as much as Max Preps tracks national high school stats, he's leading the country in homers. And every scout I talked to about this guy, you know, talks about the fact that this guy, you know, is probably one of the best pure hitters in this draft, especially on the high school side. I mean, he's, you know, he barrels everything. It's, it's a great left-handed swing. I don't think it's a ton of raw power. You know, he's six foot, 185. He's strong, but he gets to all of it. It might be solid raw power, but he might get to, to most or all of it. Um, you know, there, there is some question, you know, where exactly does he play? You know, he's probably more of a, a second baseman than, than a shortstop. You know, it's, you know, not the, you know, it's not a shortstop arm. He's kind of an average runner, but, you know, he can really, really hit. And I think this guy has hit himself. Hey, Peyton Stovall has probably hit himself into the top 50 picks in the draft right now. And, you know, just with the performance, how great the swing looks. There's really a lot to like about Peyton Stovall. I got a a Steel Walker comp on him in terms of a guy who the rest of the tools aren't real sexy, but he could really hit. That Steel Walker kind of looked like that um, in high school before going on to be one of the best college hitters at Oklahoma. And I also got a a and this comp kind of made me open my eyes a little bit because he's a Louisiana sweet swinging infielder who's not a shortstop. Somebody told me a longtime scout that he's the best swing in Louisiana for a high school kid since Todd Walker, who didn't have a you know great major league career, but he had a long major league career. He was a top 10 overall pick and, and, and arguably probably the best second baseman in college baseball history at LSU. So that, that one really caught my attention when somebody dropped a Todd Walker on it. Well, Todd Walker could hit. So I get that. Um, I'm going to stick on the mound for the, for the last guy uh, and go to Santa Barbara. Where of course, everyone knows that is the, the old stomping grounds of Shane Bieber. And uh, right now it sounds to me like Michael McGreevy is going to go ahead of where Shane Bieber went. Bieber was a fourth rounder. You know, was such a, was a command guy. The, the stuff came later. The thing that's allowed McGreevy to kind of jump uh, from being a guy who was not on our top 100 in the fall to maybe a guy who's a second rounder. And we all know college pitchers who perform uh, tend to, to move up lists uh and he has really performed you know freshman year he uh he pitched out of the bullpen and pitched well he was in the rotation last year obviously only made four starts and was a guy who kind of like Bieber in college was a command guy doesn't walk a lot of guys hasn't walked a lot of guys this year it's been less than a walk per nine innings um but he's struck out over 10 per nine everything is kind of ticked up um and he's got that you know sort of prototypical projectable body is six, four around 200 pounds. So maybe there's even more in the tank, but, uh, the fastball has got an up arrow next to it. He's been up to 96, 97. The, the breaking ball, his slider has gotten better. Um, uh, so this is a guy who's kind of gone off the, you know, from being completely off the radar, uh, into that sort of top, you know, two or, or three rounds. Now, because of the lack of track record, I think people want to see, you know, what he does his last start, 
wasn't as as great. You know, the previous start was a three hit shutout uh, against Hawaii. Um, so I think people will want to see if uh, not not just the results, although that's you know important, especially for the analytic and, and data set. But uh, but if the stuff holds up over the course uh, of the rest of the spring, then I think we're going to start to see McGreevy's name continue to to creep upwards. All right, those are five guys on the rise. Um, keep an eye out for the top draft prospects list as we expand it from 100 to 150. That's next week. And, oh, look, in the mailbag, uh, there's a question about that. Uh, we're going to move on to the mailbag and wrap up here. And here's here's a question that I can answer, which doesn't happen very often. This comes from Jonathan Miller. That's that's how it's pronounced when it's spelled with an O at the end, right, Jonathan? Yeah, I'm not... Uh... I'm not going to go down that rabbit okay. hole and question that uh, that decision. It's not his fault, but go on. All right. Uh, at Jonathan 71792817 tweets at us, could there be a top 200 MLB pipeline draft list for the season? Indeed, there could be, there will be. Uh, we've done a top 200 list for the past, what, couple, few years. And in fact, this year we're going to do uh, top 250 draft prospects list. So the list currently is 100. We'll expand it to 150 next week. And then about a month later, we'll expand to 200. And about a month later, with the additional time before the draft this year, we're going to expand it to 250. Uh, a couple more questions, and these are sort of related. So I'll put them both out there and let you guys have Adam. Uh, Mike Angels fans or Angels fins Angels FNS underscore X three, who's going to make the biggest jump on the top one hundred prospects list in twenty twenty one, and uh, a deep thought from Nate Handy here. The Needle Twelve is his handle. With the long break between minor league games and such a long time between draft and first pro looks, can we anticipate an unprecedented shakeup in ranks once things get ramped back up? Um, you know. I think I'll, I'll sort of take the biggest jump for it. Actually, I'll take the second question first. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what unprecedented is. You know, like we <laughs> we have to do like some do some research there, Jonathan, and into, figure out the 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 amount of shakeup for each of the last fifteen years. Right, right. We'll have to do a deep analytical dive into that. I, I think there is going to be a lot of changes because you know, without having last year, you know, the rankings this year. It was hard to change maybe as much as we would have. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's going to be a lot of movement, both in the top 100 and the top 30 team lists when we when we go to re-rank uh, because they, they, you know, they were pretty much static uh, outside of adding in the draftees. You know, we're going to get to see guys go out and play for the first time. Uh, so I think uh, all of those things will, you know, will be important. So I'm going to I'm going to briefly mention two guys in terms of the biggest jump. One we've talked about, uh, and that's Noel V. Marte. Um, because I think he's going to go out to full season ball and we're finally going to get to see him play for a lengthy period of time. And I think he is going to hit his way uh, up to a much higher standing, uh, you know, among shortstop prospects and on the top 100 overall. And I think the other guy I'll mention quickly is Quinn Priester, who made a huge jump into the middle of the top 100. But I think, you know, by this time, uh, you know, a, a year from now, or by the end of this year, he'll have pitched his way close to the top of the of the right-handed pitching uh, prospect list. So th- those are my two guys, Jim. Yeah, I was going to say. You? I mean, in terms of of the shakeup, 
I do think there's going to be a lot of movement. I agree with you. I mean, it's not the same, but it's going to be similar to what we're going to see with the draft list when the draft 150 comes out, that you have less to go on on players because most guys barely played or didn't play at all last year. And it's just going to lead to a lot of change. And there's going to be guys who emerge who might have emerged last year. So I, so I do think we'll have a lot of shuffling. And, you know, I, I kind of looked at the who's going to make the biggest jump question two ways. Like guys, you know, maybe in the upper half of the list who could jump near the very top. And for me, that might be, you know, two hitters who I think are on the rise who, who didn't get a chance. First round picks from two years ago or three years ago who didn't get a chance to play last year. And that would be Tristan Casas with the Red Sox, first baseman, and Jordan Groshans, shortstop with the Blue Jays. And then the other way I look at it is guys toward the bottom of the list who could really fly up the list. And there were actually two Mets who jumped out at me for that. There, there, there was Matt Allen, who, along with Quinn Priester, ranked as the best high school pitchers in the 2019 draft. Um, I, I, you know, His stuff has gotten better. I think he could really shoot up. And then I, I loved Brett Beatty's bat in, in the 2019 draft, and I'm really anxious to see what he does. If he hits like I think he can, I, I think Brett Beatty could shoot from toward the bottom of the list to, to more of the middle of the list. All right. Thanks to Jonathan, Mike, and Nate for their questions, and thanks to everybody for listening. That's a wrap for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.